Welcome to the next part of our three-part series exploring the Pandroid Massacre of 2012, as seen and experienced by James Alexander and Brandon Chong. It is important to note that the views and opinions expressed by James and Brandon do not represent the opinions or views of the Pandroid podcast. Any retelling or clarification on the account of the hosts are simply for the purpose of clarity and do not reflect our personal opinions. We have gone to great lengths to conceal the identities of others involved and in no way intend to levy accusations or suggestions of guilt towards any individual. For more information, including a copy of the official 15-6 investigation and other supporting documents, visit www.thepandraypodcast.com slash massacre. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to part two uh, of our uh, interview with James Alexander and Brandon Chong discussing the uh, events leading to, during, and uh, after uh, the uh, the massacre uh, committed by Staff Sergeant Robert Bales in Pendway, uh, March 12, 2012. Um, last episode, we talked about uh, James and Brandon's experiences leading up to the incident, their interactions with uh, Staff Sergeant Bales, and uh, kind of like set the stage uh, and what we wanted to kind of start with today, before we we led too much into the story, was want to kind of give you like kind of a geographical orientation of the of VSP Blamby uh, and where it was, because we we've talked a little bit about the geography of the Horn in episode one. Uh, but Blamby has this kind of it's kind of a unique situation in that it's not one of the cops that was assigned to the uh, the battalion that held the area, so it wasn't like Mushan, Lion, or Talakan, Zangabed, Spurwangar, Kenjikak. It was its own thing. It was part of the special operations uh, task force. And honestly, we barely even knew it was there because it was so well hidden. Um, but if you, if you, you know, and we'll put the map up here, but it's also going to be on the website. If you, uh, you know, if you use Spurwangar as a reference, you go north out of Spurwangar, you hit a road called Hyena. You take Hyena to the west. It follows you down the horn. And then the next turn that you can make goes to, to Fob Zangabad. Uh, and Fob Zangabad is the, uh, is the battalion uh, headquarters for basically the Horn of Panjway. All the, all the cops in the Horn of Panjway report to Zangabad. If you get to Zangabad, you get to the front gate, you can either go straight in or you can make a right on a road. If you make that right and you follow that road uh, and you continue down that road past a few intersections, you'll run into Balambi. It's about, what, a mile from Zangabad? Yeah. About a mile down Charlottetown Road. That was, that was the name given to it. Charlottetown. Okay. Uh, and make sure we put that up there as well for, for reference. Um, and Blamby is kind of the, the end of the line. There's a, um, there, uh, there's another road that intersects and it's kind of on a corner. Um, and we'll put that up as well. Uh, you know, also important is the orientation of some of the villages. Um, so Alcazai, am I saying that correct? <laughs> I think you're asking the wrong, we, we call it Alakozai, but that was, I mean, we heard, mo- yeah, we heard multiple inter- uh, ways of saying every village, even, Bel- even Be- Belambai, you know, so. Yeah, it's, that, yeah, it's Afghanistan, yeah. Panjwe, exactly. Panjwai. Uh, exactly, yeah. Um, you know, Alkazai was a little bit to the, uh, to the north, northwest of, uh, of Balambi, and then uh, another village, Najivan, to the south. Yeah, we called it Najibien. Najibien, see? Yeah. yeah Najibien. Exactly. So, <laughs> Feel free yeah. to correct me um, as, we, as we go through all this stuff, too. Yeah. No worries. So those those were two of the, the major um, village clusters. And there was also the Daewood home 
um, which I believe, if, correct me if I'm wrong, was just a little bit to the east of Najibiad. Yes. Okay. So that kind of gives you an idea. And this, the, I mean, probably the distance from Balambi to Alcazai, about a kilometer, and then also a kilometer from Balambi to Najibiad. Um, so about about two kilometers between each of those two villages, with the Daewood home being very close to Najibiad. Would that be would that be accurate? Yeah, it's a it's about yeah yeah yeah. But it, yeah, because you're taking the road, so it could be a little bit longer, a little bit shorter. Sure, sure, yeah. yeah there's not a direct yeah. route, but <laughs> well, there yeah, a direct route would be very uh, precarious. I'd rather go the direct route than walk the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that, but we just wanted to kind of give you an idea of where this was. And so this is sitting definitely to the west, further west into the Horn than Sperwangar is, further to the west from Zangabad, but not as far west as Talakan. Um, and like, as we mentioned before, the VSP is in a village. It's not like uh, an American cop where generally they have the cop and then there's all the standoff before there's anything else, you know. You guys could hop a wall and be in somebody like somebody's house. <laughs> yeah, um, we had no it, white space. No yeah, white space, sure. nothing. You're yeah. right. There's a road right out front. Two roads right out front, really. Um, great bros on the other side of the roads, and then you know houses on the other on the other wall. So you were in a village, um, which is going to be really important later when we talk about what happened afterwards. But we wanted to kind of cover that geography before we really got into anything deep. Um, and then. What we would really like to start with today is the events of March 12th, 2012, as they kind of un unfolded before your guys' eyes. Um, and then after that, we're going to kind of walk through what the uh, official army investigation reported as far as, you know, Bale's movements. Um, but we want to start with what your guys' experience was. So, um, you know, James, if you wanted to start, um, you know, Last time we saw Staff Sergeant Bales, he was sitting in front of a fire. Right. You know, that was sucking on a cigar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, can you describe what happened the morning, uh, the morning of uh, March 11th? And I think I've said March 12th a few times, and I apologize. Uh, but it was March 11th, 2012. 3.15 in the morning, uh, the B-Hut door, op the B-Hut, uh, 3.15 in the morning, the B-Hut door swings open, and one of our NCOs comes in and he says, Hey, we need a hundred percent. Need a hundred percent accountability. And we're like, okay, first of all, it's three fifteen in the morning. We've never done this before <laughs> in this, in this fashion. Um, he's never come in the B hut demanding anything ever, never, ever, ever, ever happened before like that. And, um, there's usually people on guard. So that was kind of strange. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's usually a place you would start, right? Usually you would go tell the guards folk and then they would come down you'd see one of our own, come into mm -hmm. the B-Hut, but, you know, these folks lived in the Chews, so it was very different. Um, so, yeah, comes in, and uh, we're all thinking it's for weapons. So we start grabbing our weapons to, like, read serial numbers, because that's what we're thinking 100%, you know? Yeah, we're absolutely. not even thinking personnel at this point, right? We're thinking strictly weapons. And so he does a quick head count, makes sure we're all there, and goes, okay, go back to bed. <laughs> like, Was there okay. anything else unusual about his appearance or his yes. uh, mannerisms okay. yes so he was freshly showered freshly shaven um, wearing a uniform with all the right patches which was like so such like it's like the most bizarre thing to mm -hmm. witness because you know it's afghanistan Sh showering and smelling good in the morning time kind of doesn't necessarily make sense especially when you're going to work out at like five or six a.m which was what their workout schedule usually was right 
Mm. So like that was strange. Um, you know, like he was kind of, there's no way to tell that he had been drinking, but he was kind of just his mannerisms were very like, like plotting, I would say probably like a little sure. bit slower than you would, you would imagine, especially for what he was demanding. And then he didn't really seem like he was clear in what he was asking us to do <laughs> because like, once he got a head count, he never gave us an explanation at all to what was going on. It right. was okay. Go back to bed. And it was like, all right, this, all right. Well, first of all, number one, I'm not going back to bed. Like yeah, well, I'm going to go in my room. Going I'm going to go in my room and I'm going to like, look at my roommate who was like, what the hell is going on? I'm looking at him. Like, I don't know, dude, that was weird. And he's like talking to me. And then maybe two minutes later, he comes back in and I, I forgot to mention that there's lights involved in this too. Usually the beehot light was off. The central lights were yeah. off at night. But he came in and all the, the first time and flipped the lights on, you know. So it was like a just a very strange, like stark thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was just like okay, get to your battle stations immediately. Like that's what it, and that's it sounds corny to say that, but that's exactly what it was. It was yeah, scramble to your to your uh, your do your battle drill of going to exactly where your uh, fighting position is. And, and so, it, it was also weird for him to be dressed like that and shaved because, like, you guys ha- had kind of gone somewhat native with the the SF guys. Yeah. I mean, you were you were yeah. wearing your beards and you weren't always wearing your patches and stuff like that. And at three fifteen right. in the morning, why would you? And um, we were very like like civilian top, you know, mil- military bottom, you know, like Crocs was right. like a standard wa- like a standard <laughs> thing to walk around in that was acceptable wear because. We would go on patrol so much that was would be when you'd have to wear your good stuff. But we also didn't have the facilities for every guy to have laundry and to do like to make yeah. sure they had the right stuff. So it was like you kind of had your like going out like patrolling, and then you had like your homeware. Like you know you're gonna get in a fight in a homeware too, but it was just like different. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's more acceptable. Yeah. So. Now, Brandon, were you in the same room? I so was not. No, I was across the hall. Okay, so it was. I mean, do you have a similar experience? It was pretty much the same. He came in. Uh, he did. We need a hundred percent SI. At the time, I was a team leader, so I had an M nine. So when he was like, "Hey, you guys can go back to sleep," Ooh. all up my stupid ass, he yeah. would put my pistol under my pill or put put my pistol under my pillow. And I was like, "All right, you know, this will do something." And then two minutes later, he's like, right, everybody gets spun up, and uh, that's when we went to the trucks. And uh, first squad was getting ready to go out to go look for him because they're shooting off flares and all that. And uh, yeah, then he came back to the to the gate. Well, we were skipping a couple steps there. <laughs> oh, my bad, my bad. Um, my bad. So you guys got called up to your battle stations. Um, now, for you two guys, that meant going to a um, like a predetermined position. Yeah, we had a truck. So we had a great system. Um, I would get in the front and start it up, and Brandon would get in the back and start the, the gun up almost immediately. And so the truck would go up the ramp so that the both – it would the, the truck would basically be on and the weapon system would be on at the same time. And so as we like crested, we'd be able to like have full field of view and be able to see Alakoz eye specifically. That was where we would be. That was our orientation. So what was going through you guys' head at this time? Like when you're when you're getting the truck up and running and you're going up on that ramp, were you just expecting to get hit? I mean, what what were you thinking? We had taken mortar fire once in the morning. It was mm-hmm. we all happened one time and that was Pretty. It wasn't really. Um, they tried to bracket us basically using the road, Charlottetown Road, mm-hmm. and it was really unsuccessful. Um, they weren't really able to get us on cue. So I kind of thought, okay, maybe something like that is going on. Like there's going to be more to this. Like we're going to take IDF. Mm-hmm. So close the hatches in the truck, obviously. <laughs> close the doors. Make sure the doors are closed. But Come out. Um, 
Yeah, exactly. But other than that, I was like, we, I genuinely thought that someone had gotten kidnapped off the base. Um, and the reason why I thought that was because only a few weeks earlier, we had had a discussion with, um, one of the, the, the chief who had said, um, basically that there was some sort of intelligence that, you know, the Taliban could overrun the base, that there was like a possibility. So we had to be, have prepared go bags, um, in the, in the event that eventuality that that happened, because we're just a VSP and we have like, yeah. uh, like two Hescos with some C wire on top, yeah. like as a, as a single gate, as a single wall, you know what I mean? So like, yeah, no, so you they do were like, blow a hole in your back wall. <laughs> no, no, we just, we had like central points where we would have to gather and like, uh -huh. it was like non ANA people. So like the idea would be like, it was just the U S forces would gather together and mm -hmm. we would, we would have like a liaison with the ANA, but like our job was to not specifically not gather with them and move towards like the HLZ area. That's where we were oh, supposed to gather. Okay. Gotcha. Right. So it was like our initial gathering point, whatever. But he went over like, you know, if we were together, how many, like we would you know, basically like a seer class, a mini seer class on like what we should do, which I'm not going to divulge any of that information because I don't want it to, you know, get into the wrong hands or whatever. But there's like a certain, you know, group or a set of tactics that we should employ should be, should something like that happen, right? Yeah. So that was, so that was <laughs> like, believe me, believe it or not, that was forefront in my mind, um, living in a sure. beehive in the middle of Afghanistan, you know, the Taliban going to come in, you know, we pack go bags with like MREs, some water, um, C4, some two or three rounds, like, um, you know, I mean, somebody came in and woke me up at three fifteen in the morning and said, get on your trucks. first thing in my mind right. would be that the talk is about or the, whatever's about the, the cop or whatever's about to get overran or at least hit real hard, you know? Right. And being, and having the vision of Alakoza, you're kind of like looking for, you're looking for anyone through the grape rows, right? So like mm. Chong and I are both looking at the screen, flipping from white hot to black hot polarization levels to try to find any kind of like heat movement. signature or movement, anything in those fields. Cause we're thinking, my God, like something's going on. And then mm. the flares start coming like more, they, they kind of change direction. And it was like kind of like, hey, we spot them. Somebody said, hey, we spot them on the net. And it was like, okay, all right, well, what, what, all right. So we've either spotted or we know what's going on. We, what like, because we're still in the dark. Like the net is a scrambled mess. You can't understand anything that's going on. <laughs> and right. it's just like, okay, there's no, there's, it's indescribable because people are like hopping on each other. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, like it's just madness, chaos. It's just chaos. It's pure chaos. Pure yeah. chaos, like complete chaos, like. Because that, once once the net got silent and somebody said, I see him, it, yeah. I don't know what, it was like somebody clicked clicked over or whatever, but it was like, okay. And it was like, all right, now we're trying to like fill in like what is, and I'm just looking at Brandon the whole time like, dude, what What's is up? going on? I'm pretty sure I had to put on auto scan at one moment just to like yeah. comprehend, so we could just like talk it <laughs> like, out. Like, the auto, just, auto like, scan wait. on the crow is the ultimate. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gucci, yep. that's Gucci living. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, so you guys, you guys are in the truck. You're trying to figure all this stuff out. Um, you know, obviously somebody knows that something's going on. You're thinking either someone's kidnapped or the cop is about to be overrun or you're about to hit IEDF. You don't really know. Um, and then you hear that on the radio. We see him. All these flares. So when you when you hear them say we see him, does that kind of change your opinion about what what is going on? Obviously, at that point, you don't think you're being overrun anymore. I'm thinking. The first thing that crossed in my mind is that Bobby's such a like a tough nut that he just 
killed his his potential kidnappers kidnappers and is now like returning to base like so why did you think it was bobby why did you think it was bobby at that point <laughs> because when they did the 100 percent accountability i knew it was us right and i yeah. knew that like all the infantry dudes were accountable but if it was an sf guy that they were looking for the sf dudes would have come in do you know what i'm saying right like they, it was they just the, handled themselves exactly it was just like the way it was like okay it was either bobby you know, one of uh, one of the other NCOs or another NCO that I didn't see, they all lived in the cans. So right. I'm thinking potentially an ANA guy snuck into the cans, beat snatched beat up somebody, somebody up. and drug them, snatched them right. up exactly, and drug Took them out, out the, the gate because that could be po- like that's that's 100 percent possible. You know, what yeah, I mean? like, sure. that's within the realm of possibility in my mind. So yeah, certainly. And Brandon, was that kind of what you were thinking too? I mean, because obviously you guys are talking in the truck, you're not sitting there in total silence. So yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, there was this. It's just the whole day was just chaos and confusion. And that's just, I mean, I basically remember it the same as that is really no other way to put it, I guess. <laughs> did you get the idea that people above you knew what was going on, though? Or did no. they, they seem clueless also? Uh, especially, well, when we got pulled into defect, it, every, they, we didn't have official numbers. Nobody really knew what was going on. They didn't know where the villages are coming from. So at least for the first couple hours, nobody really seemed to know what was going yeah. on. Right. They didn't even know. They didn't know if it was just like Taliban doing it, if it was soldiers doing it, or right. I mean, everybody was confused. So you guys had been in the truck for uh, how? Do you know how long you guys are sitting in the truck while all this was going on? I mean, I, I don't have an accurate timestamp. <laughs> two hours. I mean, two hours or so. Like, yeah. Till yeah. it got light, I would say. I mean, it was just about to get light. That was the craziest part about it. It was like, mm-hmm. yeah. And you said you, you felt like at least that the the higher command while you were in the trucks you felt that the higher command knew that there was there was a soldier off the base, but not necessarily what was going on. Whether he was he kidnapped, was he, you know, had he snuck off? I mean, Bo Bergdahl wasn't even that long ago at that point. You're talking a couple couple years, so um, you know, a dust one is a pretty serious thing, no matter. The reason for it, it's an American soldier, so accounted for. And it was also the first time we had shot uh, loom rounds at night like that. So, which obviously, right? Because why else would you sure. do that? <laughs> yeah. So that was like another indicator like, okay, we're actually, you know, trying to either spot targets or we're looking for someone. In, in yeah. A point target, either either way, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, okay. And that kind of stands out to me as well. The, the use of the flares, the calling on the radio, we see him. Right. Um, and when you go back and look at the 15-6, you can tell that um, much, much, much earlier than this, they knew he was gone. Um, and they had that they knew that there was an American soldier outside the base. They didn't know who it was, but they knew there was a American soldier outside the base. So it all kind of lines up in the fact that the people above you kind of probably knew what was going on, at least to an extent that there was an American soldier off the base. Um, so you guys eventually got the order to leave the trucks. That's correct. Right. The tr- we left the truck up. Um, we left the truck up. I remember this part because we uh, left it on auto scan. That was the exact thing to do. And someone came by. There wasn't that part was not on the net. That part was someone physically walking up to the truck and opening the door and being like, yeah, like basically like I and you know what that that part I, I could not tell you who it was, but it was like an NCO, obviously most likely an SF dude who was doing the rounds to be like whoever was on guard to make sure that every station was good and that like that everybody got the word instead of like putting it on the net. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like, okay, which was which made sense to me, you know? So, yeah. So you got out, you left the auto scan on, which is the, again, is the ultimate sham move <laughs> auto scan with the crow. Yeah. Anybody that's deployed yeah. with a crow knows that if you see a truck and the radios are quiet perfect. and there's a perfect scan, 
Yeah. It's nap, it's nap time in that truck. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so you guys got out of the truck and then you went to your predetermined guard positions. Is that correct? Yeah. The, the word was to um, basically continue back to the guard ship because the infantry guys still had guard until like, I believe seven or eight in the morning per like the usual battle rhythm. So mm-hmm. I happen to have guard um, at six. So I just said, Hey, I'm going to go up there early. And it was like probably five forty-five, maybe like five fifty, And when I went up there and uh, yeah, I just was sitting um, up on guard, relieved the, the dude up there and uh, <laughs> was just able to see pretty much uh, everything from there, from that vantage point. At this point, you knew. Did you know at this point that that Staff Sergeant Bales was back on the base? I believe that somebody called up on the net that like he's at the front gate, okay. or we've got him at the gate, or so there was some there was some indicator that like we've got him at the gate. But the next time that I had this is the first time I saw Sergeant Bales was from the op center roof, and it was yeah. looking down, and he was covered in blood, uh, like caked on to his arms. He had blood like kind of on his face a little bit, on his neck. His hands were like basically like just red, like completely red. And I was yeah. just like, damn. Yeah, you know, his, his clothes were like hanging off of him. And he was breathing really, really hard, like like, like grunting. Like because it was like he, you could tell he was like really straining for breath. Like his adrenaline was kicking so hard sure. that like, he was just like having like a like seriously pumping. So um, did he uh, did he wear his kit? Did he just roll out there with a m four and a few mags i mean yeah i don't i didn't see a kit that that was the thing that i was looking for i was expecting like a plate carrier or something like that i didn't see that and i was like okay he had his m4 um slung um but obviously that was taken off of him we found about that later you know it's we didn't when once he got to the gate he uh gave up his weapons you know i mean he took all the stuff off of him um but his clothes and then um, he asked for the computer, <laughs> which was kind of crazy. He tried to smash the computer right there. That was kind of wild. Like they, mm-hmm. they were like, he's like asked for the computer and they brought it to him and he tried to grab it out of the dude's hand and smash it on the ground. It's like, what is going on? Yeah. And they, but they were able to prevent him from doing that. They... Yeah. For the most part. I mean, I, he threw on the ground, but he didn't like jump on it and like destroy it the way he wanted to like monkey smash. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Smash yeah. It, but yeah. I mean, why was he doing that? That's the thing. I don't, I like, literally I'm like, at this point, I'm still thinking this guy just escaped. I'm thinking this is like the like some Taliban blood, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking this is like, he's killed all of these people. Um, like his captors, right? I'm, that's right. what I'm thinking. I'm not thinking that this is, you know, what he has actually done. Right. So yeah. for him to smash the computer is when I started being like, okay, more is going on that's because weird. the, this is like something really key that I have to like, I have to stress is that when I was looking from the guard tower, I am like above the action and also looking down and I'm maybe 20 meters away and Mm -hmm. it's getting light, but I can see perfectly fine. Right. And so he is, he's being treated as if like, he's not in handcuffs or anything. Like he's being treated like calmly. So I have no reason to suspect that he has done anything but just based off his mannerisms, other than the like adrenaline pumping, which would make sense if you escaped captors and then all that. So like literally when he grabbed the computer, I was like, oh, OK, this is like he is Something's like up. something is up. Right. And it's like <clears throat> and I sat there with another uh, another soldier and we we smoked a whole uh, pack of parliament lights. 
which is <laughs> not advisable for anyone that, that wants to like special. Whoa. Yeah, it was just like we just probably got one just, Marlboro worth of nicotine out of the whole thing. And, and and he sat he sat over where the fifty cal was, which is the typical guard position. And I sat where the two forties were in the uh, where the uh, mini gun was, strong looking down. And that's where I was able to see from the med shed and the yeah, shower the med sheds area. where they put them. Yeah, so like I'm literally right there, and mm. um, they pulled the so they they pulled him they they stripped him naked right there outside, you know, like pulled all his clothes off. Um, on this, cause we had these wood planks built because, uh, the mud was so bad that you couldn't yeah. like walk anywhere. So they, so they stripped them naked on this wooden plank outside, basically. Who's they? Is this SF or? Two SF guys, uh, okay. stripped them. Like they okay. were the ones in charge. Right. So like, yeah. And there, there was, uh, I want to also highlight their disposition. They like, they didn't have like weapons like pointed at him or anything like that. There was like one of them was doing most of the talking and like c- c- calmly controlling the situation. It was mm-hmm. obvious that they were like clearly expertise and like had ex- expertise in like de-escalation training, right? Like, sure. Because they had f- more uh, situational awareness than I did about, because they were, the, they had seen him come through the gate and they had probably understood that like, Hey, you know, they were hearing these reports already. Like they may have been a privy to that information prior sure. To, sure. to me. So it, the, but the, but the way they were treating him, you know, it was like, okay, whatever, you know, so they, but he stripped him naked, put him in the shower, <laughs> had him shower, uh, right there, basically washed some of the blood off. He didn't get all of it off, which I thought was really interesting. He saw it like all and like, you'd see, cause the shower light lights up. Right. So you could see him walk in there and he's just like quickly, like rubbing like this, this, and this, and this, and this, and then they throw him some clothes and stick his ass in the med shed. Um, I guess they had cleared it out already and made it like, uh, you know, prisoner proof or whatever. Mm, so Sure. Yeah. And the med sheds right there is lockable. Obviously it has contains like uh surgeon level um, narcotics, you know, so you have to lock that up because you, you yeah. know. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. If I remember correctly, they, after he was in the med shed, they just put a dude with a shotgun on him. Uh, one of the yeah. echoes, if I remember correctly, just kind of on guard with a shoddy. Exactly. Like, and at that, and from there, that's when, um, we were called or I was called to move the truck and then to the front gate. Um, Brandon, you went to a different guard tower, right? I did. I went to the ANA, ANA guard tower. I went there right when pretty much everybody started showing up at the front gate. By everybody, you mean uh, civilians? Yeah, just I don't know where they're coming from. We've, I don't feel like we've ever seen that many people in the AO before. And there was probably, I don't know, 100, <laughs> 200 maybe just out in the front it gate. Was, it was It was completely surreal. It was like living in a snow globe and somebody just shaking the snow globe. And that's what it was like. It was just crazy. I mean, it was, yeah. I can't wait. We didn't even understand there were that many people like living there. We didn't know there were that many vehicles in the area. I mean, it was like Mardi Gras basically. I mean, yeah, it became, yeah. it just packed full of people trying to get into our base. I mean, was it, was it violent? I mean, uh, <laughs> what is, it was just like case. on the brink of violence. Like it just seemed like yeah. any, like yeah. just any one wrong move and it just would have been had a, a terrible day. So we were up in the ANA tower and they brought all the bodies to the front gate. So I was up there with two other Americans and an Afghan. So we're simultaneously trying to pull security, you know, two, 300 meters out. Cause we can see guys peeking behind great rows. But at the same time, you got 200 people fight, you know, right below me with 16 bodies. It was just. I don't know. It was a, a surreal moment. So did they bring every one of the bodies to the VSP or was it a handful of them? I mean, um, I'm pretty sure they brought all of them in the back of a, like back of trucks. Some of them were just kind of being carried, yeah. you know, like above their yeah. hands, things a, like that. 
Yeah, it was a white truck. The like the image that struck me. Um, so, like I said, I went to the uh, to get the. Tr- uh, I was told to get the, the vehicle from my position on Alakozai and basically drive it to the front gate. So mm-hmm. I get the vehicle, I drive it to the front gate, and uh, I interact with the um, captain, and he's like, he's like, uh, hey, um, <laughs> he's like, make sure the weapon is off, hmm. like that's that's the disposition right yeah like it's not do i i I don't get in the back and gun i I like where this is this is completely like a bad bad situation like yeah the the weapon is off like we're putting this truck at the main gate and that is what it is so kind of as a as a you know thirty thousand pound barrier oh my bad because our front gate was literally just a piece like a two by four wrapped in sea wire it's not stopping (laughs) anything yeah right right. with with a little s turn in it once I parked the vehicle, I uh, I moved to the front uh, and I stood next to the 18 Bravo, and mm-hmm. um, we stood right there at the front gate, and I was just trying to be as useful as possible. Again, like I didn't really know what was going on. Like um, by this time, we had been told that it was potentially Bob had you know gone and done these things, and that there was you know civilians that had been uh, being treated at Zangabad for some injuries and mm-hmm. you know it was consistent with you know this guy this this bob so it was just like that was probably the harshest moment so we went from the roof tower i went from the op center roof tower to the defect was told that um it was most likely bob that did it and then went to go get the vehicle like that's that was the the order mm-hmm. so so they yeah. pulled everybody down from their car to go to the defect, correct? Yes. Yes. So Brandon, you were in the defect as well. I was. Yeah. I was. And who who was it that briefed you guys? Uh, the team captain at first. The yeah, SF team, team captain. Yes, SF and, team captain. And the uh, and the eighteen Echo who was standing in for the Zulu who because of the IED strike we lost him so we had no Zulu at the time right so he's was he just like a TBI filming. or something like that or. Yeah, there was a couple. Um, we had one, and I believe he was the other one. There may have been another, the 18 Fox as well. I'm not really sure if he TBI'd from that one, but there was that vehicle. But it was at least, uh, yeah. So we they were not at full capacity as okay. well. Which, yeah. yeah. So and he basically told you that it looked that they were getting reports that there were civilians coming into Zangabad, that they had radio chatter, that it, you know, it looked like you know Robert Bales had gone off and done what, what he did. Right. Hmm. That was the first, and we had heard it was between, it was some like five, like the, we've got the number of reports of like five, five, you know, wounded or f- five, five KIA or something like that. Yeah. Initially the numbers were low. Yeah. yeah. And we were like, okay, like not that that's any way explainable, but perhaps, you know, it was some confusion, right? Again, we're still thinking perhaps like in my head, I'm still thinking kidnapper or something. There has to be some other reason why this is happening other than just this just happened, right? Like there is no explainable rational reason for this because I'm trying to be as rational as possible. Sure. Well, yeah, you got to explain it away, right? Because I mean, how how the fuck could somebody do that? The human brain takes over and you start rationalizing and it's like, sure. wait a second. And then when you're faced with the cold facts of, and it's in that the moment haunts me because we're sitting, um, you know, our, our chow hall defect, whatever you want to call it was a connex, right? Like a tiny little thing, um, yeah. you know, and it had like two little, um, benches on it so we all basically were fitting in there so it was like a tight fit and you know you could see the pain in his eyes you could tell the man didn't want to say it you know yeah. that he just like couldn't 
he just you could tell he was processing it and you could tell based on his what the way he was delivering the information that this was real like this is this is the worst of all things this is you know like it's just yeah again like being in a snow globe and everything being sh- shaken around that's what it was yeah. it was like you know we're inverted at the time it was wild yeah yeah what was the reaction to the other i mean obviously you know brandon you were there but what about the other soldiers and ncos that were present what were their was there what was their reaction to what they were hearing i would just say complete disbelief i just i felt like it took maybe two or three days for everybody to even process what was happening um i mean i'm not going to speak for everybody but i think everybody was just in complete shock and just you know <laughs> like what is going on it was even it was even more surreal because we're sitting there i want to say it was later on and then you know obama's on the news talking about what's going on literally yeah. where we're at it was just a real moment yeah yeah cnn pictures from from inside we're looking or watching cnn from inside of our tiny chow hall of yeah. images of outside of our you know base and it's like oh my god like and this is like okay and, and you know I, I was wondering kind of like how how this would get to the news you know because i knew this was going to break out but i didn't really know how i was mm. shocked how quickly it was it, it was like by the by the time we're eating lunch it was like on the news you know it was kind of like holy cow you know but Mm. um you asked about the reaction specifically one reaction um did not sit well with me at all and um one of the ncos stood up and said uh he did it for you guys (laughs) and that that was the very first thing that anyone said i mean literally it was like the sf guy stopped talking and Mm. he said that and it just it put the room on tilt yeah, it sure. completely changed the tone my like the tone my belief i'm like okay this is now two times this nco has said or acted in a peculiar manner in the last three hours i'm now in the middle of a you know like in the middle of a firestorm you know you have no idea what's going to happen you have no idea which way is up and he seemed to like try to lay blame on us for for this in some way like we we're supposed to feel some kind of guilt or shame for or Bob's actions for or, some reason or mm-hmm. absolve him of it be, yeah. like in yeah. our in our mind we should always we should always be remembered no matter what happens that this was um not our fault or that he did it for us right, right. like like in, like branding that into our minds it's just kind of crazy because <laughs> literally we had just found out that it was only five. I mean, there was five people, right? So yeah. for the nut for for the number to then rise so dramatically, it's like it just it's just it's just like. And this is the this is the same NCO that woke you guys up in the middle of the night, freshly showered and shaven and yeah. fresh set of duds. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah, in tears, talking about if we put it on. I think I want to say he said MySpace. He might have said Facebook. Talking if we put it online, yeah. it was going to kill us. Yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty wild. That was. So he said, yeah, that and in like the completely defect? seriously, like. Yeah, he said it in a defect. Yeah. Just with the uh, infantry guys, though. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Once the SF guys cleared out. <laughs> Interesting. What was the mm-hmm. SF captain's reaction when he said that? When he said he did it for you guys. <laughs> I. I don't, I think he left. Really? Yeah. I think he left to be honest. I don't I don't I think both of the SF guys cleared out. I think yeah. they were like okay, like we're not going to be a party to anything that's going on in here, whatever yeah. conversation you yeah. guys are about to have. 
this shit is bigger than you. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. like I'm going to walk away. Like, you know what I mean? I'm pretty sure they left. I don't believe that they said anything, but you know, I just was like, it's just so such a, such a crazy thing to say, especially because we had been told from some of the uh, people in first squad, the guys who were at the gate, that the first thing that Bobby said when he came through the gate was that um, you guys, you guys snitched on me. That was the first thing he said mm-hmm. that we were, that's what we were told when we we're in the defect, right? He told, so, he told us that from his own mouth. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's like, so he's talking about people, like people snitching on him. And now you're As saying he did it for us. In. And it, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like. So he's walking back in literally covered in blood of these innocent civilians. And the first thing out of his mouth, more or less, is that somebody snitched on me. Jesus Christ. So after you leave the, the DFAC, obviously your minds are spinning. Um, not just from what you've heard, but because of the reaction from from that NCO, um, which was the same NCO that woke you up and was acting weird earlier, correct? Yeah, correct. And he was also we never trained up with this guy either. That's a, he was a he was from a different. Um, He's from company, HHC. HHC. Mm. So, like, he deployed with us because he had a relationship with Bales. Mm. And he so, was only in our platoon for maybe a month or two. Like he just showed up. He's like, he's like, I'm just a liaison. That's what he kept saying. His duty yeah. position was like, yeah. okay, what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean? So he didn't deploy with you. He came to the VSP later in the deployment. No, 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 no. He came with us, but he acted like he was a liaison. He, he, he. That's the way he treated himself. He. There's a famous incident. We went to Kandahar to go um, sign on a long gun because, you know, um, he was from HHC, had those skills. So it was like, hey, we're going to get a long gun and uh, we're going to use it to like target folks in the in the area. And um, <laughs> he goes to sign it out. And I, of course, was the armorer. So I'm going to go with him on this on this detail. And so mm-hmm. I, we go to go sign it out. And the the arm, the uh, armor for HHC is like, hell no, you're not getting these weapons. I'm not going to lose accountability of this. Like, there's no way you're going to, there's no way I'm signing these out to you. And it was like, okay, that was the end of it. But he was, that was really disappointing for them to, you know, not be able to have access to those kind of like uh, weaponry at all. So, yeah. Interesting. So, Uh, you know, the day is, is obviously building. It's hitting the news and people are congregating outside the gate, bringing in bodies. And so, you know, what does the rest of that day look like? You know, um, you know, what, what happened after things began to click and you began to make those connections that it was Bales that did all this? Po- after, you know, obviously you saw him from the guard tower, but over the course of that day, I mean, how did that pan out for you guys? Yo, um, does it, when did Karzai's brother come out? Was it the same day or the next day? That was later in the day. The same day though, right? I believe so, yeah. Okay, so right around <laughs> when he... Yeah. You said what? All this, all this melts together. It is chronological, but you have to understand that once it became bright, it was like yeah, just like chaos. It, yeah, yeah. It just became yeah. yeah. And so we're trying to put make sure we get things in the right order as much as possible. But yeah, because um, right, because pretty much right when he was detained, uh, Karzai's brother came out. You know, we had a right. platoon of Afghan commandos come in, and then their handlers were like two SEAL dudes. I think a couple of JTACs came in. Yeah, when um, so I'm at the gate and um. I'm seeing all these bodies. I'm next to the 18 Bravo, the 18 Alphas right there as well. And we're just trying to like stop these people from sh- like bringing the bodies inside or breaching the gate. 
Yeah. Um, apparently, the reason why they're showing us the bodies is to make us see what what like the suffering that had been caused, like make mm. us understand that it was real, right? So it's like okay, um, understood. <laughs> they moved. Uh, um, so to the to the credit of one of the eighteen bravos, he said, okay. He saw his infantry dude just standing there watching all of this. And so I wasn't in, in a position to like actually be an authority, authoritative helper at the gate. Mm-hmm. So he moved me to the same truck with uh, Jones, my roommate. And so I was there and that truck faced um, into basically south, the exact opposite direction of the uh, Brandon and I's normal truck. And so I was there um, and that gave me great viewpoint of the HLZ as well as uh, looking down on the gate from there mm. so and brandon what's going on your end um so i had guard so my original guard shift was supposed to be like around four or five so when we came in to do the original si check and then we went to sleep i was ready to go back to sleep because i had guard in like an hour mm. so after the truck um after we pulled out of the trucks i went up to the ops and i was just kind of hanging out because i really had no idea what to do and i could see bells as well in the med shed just <laughs> looking out the window just just a crazy look in his eye. Yeah. And, uh, raving, raving, <laughs> raving, looking like, like breathing crazy, like up yeah. against the way, up, up putting his face up against the glass, like breathing yeah. into it. Just and then one of stuff. the, one of the other dudes who, uh, he walked by him and he, he would look at me. Bales was like, what's up, man? You don't want to look at me? Huh? You too. F-? Uh, I guess I won't cuss, but he's like, you too afraid to look at me, man. And he was basically calling him out cause he wouldn't look at him. You remember, uh, there was that portion. And then and pretty much after that's when yeah. I went up to the ANA tower and, yeah. uh, a lot of it, honestly, I have a hard time remembering. I'm not going to lie. Some of the in-between yeah. stuff. Yeah. Understandably. But at some point, a, a Chinook came and took him away, right? And then yeah, probably was, like right. midday, like around noon, maybe a little yeah. earlier than that. Yeah, I had. Uh, I was sitting in the truck with Jones, and um, we had a conversation about should one of us get out of the truck and just go shoot Bob in the in the med shed? Like, <laughs> should we just go in the med shed and just shoot him? Like, should we just... Like, Take what... like? Yeah, like what is going on here to like because yeah. that's how that's how messed up our brains were from this moment and how much like projection of anger we had that we're just like mm-hmm. but that's what again when I say you get two idiots talking like and you know they come up with a bad idea you know me and Jones together is like bad you know <laughs> so um, yeah we're just sitting there talking like basically talking it out and um, the fur a, a bird comes comes over and it's like you know, flying really low. And then an, another bird drops down and it's a Chinook. And you could see they're taking a really long time, like on the ground, which is usually we, I think we had a Chinook land once or twice uh, previously, but they're really too big for our HLZ. Sure. <laughs> so, you know, they're like knocking stuff over. We had to like move trucks around to make sure that stuff could like fit. It was kind of crazy, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah. So the bird lands and, uh, we find out that Bob got on the bird and got taken away to Kandahar. Um, and then another bird lands and, you know, uh, a group of, of Afghan commandos and two Navy SEALs come off <laughs> and they're like providing their uh, level of security. And they don't even go into our compound immediately. They go into the compound where the burn pit is, where we had just cleared, where the strikers had been, uh, where the strikers eventually would end up. So. Hmm. Yeah, they kind they of sent strikers there. from Zangabad to the outside of the the gate for security. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, they got there. <laughs> they got there, and it was like they they cut through, and they you just felt like those guys were like, "Look, like what is going on?" 
because you got to remember Zangabad was the point where, um, you know, the bodies had been going already. So they had some kind of knowledge that this stuff was going on. So, I mean, for them to like, they didn't really know what the hell they were walking into and, you know, (laughs) or driving into, I guess. So the Taliban didn't give a shit that day in Alakoza. They fired an RPG at that Kiowa and Najibian, they ambushed Karzai's brother. Yeah. That was did not care that day. There was as many assets we had out that day. They did not care. Hmm. That was crazy. That was, that was, yeah, they, Chong, I don't know if you remember this, but the call to prayer that morning, it was completely different. Really? Yeah. It was, I think I heard the word jihad in there a couple of times. Yeah. 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 There was, yeah, it was, it was a straight like call to arms for everyone in the village to come to, to, to basically get justice, um, to find out who had done this and to hold them responsible. Now, was there, was there an attack? Was there an effort to breach the walls or, or was there any kind of concerted effort to, to fire at the guard post or anything like that? Or did the crowd of civilians kind of deter that? I would say the civilians deterred that. They, they tried to fire, they tried to, sh- they fired an RPG at the Kiowa in Alakozai and then they did the ambush in Najibian, but nothing on the VSP itself that day anyway. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. It was the, like, I was on the rooftop, um, uh, the, to go to the top of the VSP and the other 18 Bravo was up there and, um, the minigun was used to just to basically dissuade folks from trying to cross into the gray putts. So it was used defensively, um, just just basically because it's loud and it's you know it, it's a fear striking weapon. It's kind of like being in someone's house and hearing a shotgun cock. You know what I mean? Like you know you're yeah. in trouble, right? So you <laughs> right. hear like a minigun and it's just firing. You know, um, basically just to stop people from. Um, thinking that they could, that we were just like a soft target perhaps. But right, if there's right. anyone in the world that should have been firing at that time or was qualified to fire, it would have been an 18 Bravo, you know, with, on top with of the minigun. V- <laughs> with a minigun, right? Like it's like, you know, if, if we're going to like send a message here, it has to be the right message, right? So yeah. it can't just be indiscriminate firing or anything like that. Yeah, so. And what, what was the, the attitude of the SF guys at the time? Because I mean, obviously you, you talked about earlier how they, when they were processing bails, they were very calm and collected and, because I mean, they're professionals. Right. Know, they go through a lot of training to to do this stuff properly. But um, how it, once that was all processed and like base defense kind of became the priority, were they racing around or were they still like you know calm, you know, cool as a cucumber? It was interesting because you could see they were getting pulled. Um, every one of them was on the net or some kind of communication device to hire right. a, or some kind of um, enabling force that was on the way. Um, when Karzai's brother eventually showed up and um, we treated their casualty, that was when it was kind of crazy that like, okay, that that's when it kind of kicked off again. You know, it was kind of like the Taliban were like, oh, okay, here's Karzai's brother trying to, you know, make a political statement. And we're, he, we have the opportunity to make even more of a political statement by yeah. stopping him from being able to even access this area. You know what I mean? Yeah, because so, he, he wanted to go to the crime scenes, right? That was his thing. He tried yeah. to go both to Al-Khazai right. and Najibian. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Right, and got one of his soldiers killed, at least one. Um, no, they got they got into a gunfight. Yeah, yeah, they got into a gunfight. Guy got shot in the head. Um, the you said that was down at Najibian, on the on the way to yeah. Okay, they brought him back in a razor um, on a razor scooter, uh, not Christ. scooter, but with the razor thing. And yeah, our uh, our um, medic had his thumb in the back of the dude's head, trying to like stop the bleeding as much as possible. Um, by this time, we had. 
the battalion or the I guess the brigade or battalion surgeon. I'm not really sure, but they that guy had lo- uh, located um, to our VSP from CAF. So he was there um, and our two medics and the, I don't believe the 18 Delta was there, um, but the two medics basically worked uh, to try to save this guy's life. Um, and then they when it was not successful, they put him in a body bag and it was right like. You know, it's just, it's just, you know, I mean, nothing. There's no room to put him anywhere else. You couldn't leave him because in the in the shed, because we may have more casualties. So you, they just, when he expired, they put him in a body bag and uh, put him right outside in the right there, right like right yeah. in front of the bee hut. You right. know, like right by right, the med right shed. Next to, yeah, right that by body the bag shed. just twitching, man. It was a trip. Yeah, yeah, just seeing it twitch and like because we were there to pull. Like I got pulled down from the the gar um, the op center roof which was my secondary location. Like I was almost always there. So, cause I had a two Oh three, you know? Um, so, uh, I, I, I called down to basically like make sure like, you know, something like didn't bad, didn't happen to the body or something. So I'm just standing there watching this like body twitch and I'm like, okay, sure. eventually, eventually I just kind of like, was like, okay, I'm just going to like, <laughs> somebody else is going to take care of this. Right. Like I'm not, you know what I mean? Like yeah. this is, yeah, it was, it was just, it was, but it was one of those like orders that somebody gives you in like a complete hurry and they kind of forget about it, you know? So Sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. They don't, they don't mean for you to stand over at all. Right. Yeah. Right. But exactly. Yeah. It was just like, Hey, just watch this and make sure nothing crazy, you know, like bad happens. Like, okay. And I'm watching like the general area. And then you see like, you know, like a, the body twitch and it's like, you know, yeah. You know, yeah you, one of cars, I soldiers, you know, you, you, know, yeah. you feel bad. But. So by the by the end of the, I mean obviously that whole day is very stressful and there's there's a crowd outside they're yelling you're seeing yourself on CNN there's <laughs> you know a huge influx of assets onto the base um but you've been up since three fifteen in the morning um <laughs> did did you even go to bed that night did you try were you able to like what was it like when everything no. was done at that night no that, this is where the story continues like yeah. It, Pretty much everybody was up trying to figure out what was going on. Like nobody was sleeping that night at all. It was the first. It was the first time that we had all been located back together again. Um, by that time, we had all become tier one assets. So there was, um, <laughs> <laughs> there was. Uh, you could hear drones flying above you for the first time, which was like really nice to hear. Um, and like you could hear, like there was planes just constantly buzzing, and so you felt safer perhaps i don't know for sure i, I felt yeah. more at ease and so at night you can't really see anything down the roads anyway i mean we still had se- i still had seven deltas right so me sitting in a, in a truck trying to like peek out you know is not really going to be doing a whole lot um especially when yeah. the trucks are like they had them like half position so you can kind of like stand sure. on them you know and see over it, but whatever so yeah it was like yeah it was just like okay we left the trucks up and um <laughs> We, we finally located in the bee hut and that's when we started talking to people and being like, yo, what did you see? What did you see? What did you see? You know? Right. And that's where, that's where we came and that's where we started getting, um, talking to one of the, the, the guy that was on guard, one of the soldiers on guard. And he, and he mentioned again to us that, that the original Afghan, um, soldier at the gate had said, that two that two Americans had come in and one had left. Hmm. Right. So we're like, okay. So you're so and that's the first time that again, the first time we had even talked, you know. So it was like he's he's telling us that, and then we're t- 
telling him, hey, remember when he came in in the morning and, you know, like this person looked different and remember that. And like, we're all trying to, pe- we're playing a game. We have no idea what the game is, right? Sure. We're all just like trying to remember things Trying to make that sense happened. of all the information. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And we definitely want to get to that that discrepancy later. Sure. Um, actually, probably in the next episode, we really want to get into that. Sure. Um, because that's that's an important part about the story that we're trying to tell is that there there were parts of the story that were glossed over in the 15-6. Um, because that is mentioned in the 15-6, the discrepancy between the number of soldiers that went out the gate. Right. And any... And he testified um, in an Article 32 hearing to that, um, that he said that there was, you know, uh, that two soldiers had come in the gate and one had left. So, yeah. So we're definitely going to readdress that. Um, but that night, I guess, and then leading into the next day, because it's all, it's all like one event at this point, you know, the night, right. day, whatever, you're not sleeping. Um, you know, and you said the first day, the, the crowd was fairly peaceful, but on a razor's edge. What was it like the second day? What Did they disperse? Were they there still, or did it get violent? If I remember, they were gone by the second day. Yeah. Were they? If I remember, <laughs> yeah, then that's yeah. when, so the second day is when our other two NCOs got detained and taken away. We didn't see them again. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so which yes. was, was, was one of those NCOs the one that made the comment in the DFAC? Yeah, he was. Yes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And... CID had been on the ground now. Um, sure. There's a yeah. female staff sergeant. Um, and she, she, I mentioned that she's female because she slept in the op center, um, which was uh, highly irregular, right? But because there was no female housing for her, that's where she sure. slept. So um, it became incumbent upon some of the soldiers that we need to talk to her and let her know what we knew. Your that, concerns, sure. Yeah, like... This NCO had threatened to kill us um, <laughs> if we put anything on Facebook. Um, we know that one of our soldiers has said that two, sold, two, two, two people were out and one person came back. We know that his reaction in the um, DFAC, we, we, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, we, we see people throwing bottles away in the burn pits. We get told, one of our soldiers gets told to like cover the burn pit with uh, the, his like loader front loader front end loader thing so like mm-hmm. yeah it just became okay like there's clearly like more alcohol bottles here. pill bottles i i mean you could let like, this this is one of the things when i was on guard from six to seven um with one of the other soldiers you could literally see people walking from the containerized housing units over to the burn pit right in front of you it's like you know 30 meters yeah. in front of you and you could hear the the bottles like clanging together in the like the glass bottles. It's oh, like, so okay. yeah, so alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah most. Yeah, I, I never saw any steroid or anything like that. That, that was yeah. one of the things I talked about. But yeah, only alcohol yeah. that I ever saw. Right, um, and you know that was part of the fifteen six. Later was that there was a, there was a big shocker alcohol use on a uh, yeah. on the base, um, which yeah, I think you know most people that deployed it understood that there's a little bit of a looser. Um, restriction on you know what the the sfodas and you know the other sp- special operations forces as as regards to the the ban on alcohol in country it's still in yeah. place but there's a little bit of a right but you know, room there and, for them yeah and i'm sure luke has heard wonderful stories about some of the raging parties in iraq back in the day when Missoula. you know sf would throw their ragers on their mm-hmm. compounds so <laughs> that's definitely a part of their history and their heritage yeah. and that's not taking anything away from the sf guys or incredibly professional um you know you know elite forces but um and it's not just them you know the seals just had a big 
you know, mm-hmm. deal with all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's prevalent, you know, in other special operations communities as well. So I'm not singling out the SF guys for being, um, having alcohol and deployment. It's just kind of one, it, it, it's a thing. It's not an unusual yeah. I thing. Mean, to my eyes, the only time I ever saw anyone, you know, drunk or visibly like smelling like alcohol was on Christmas, New Year's, and then that was it. Like that, yeah. like that was it. Like it was not mm-hmm. something where it was like a random Wednesday I would smell alcohol. Again, mm-hmm. we lived in a closet when we first were there. So we lived inside the op center closet. Like all Fine. 11 privates were in a very small room until we built a bee hut that we could that we could live in. So um, yeah, we, we were not in any of the housing areas. We didn't interact with SF in that way because there was no, really no need to. There was no need for us to be yeah, you know, and it, all in their personal private space. It's really, yeah. So we, you know, I just assumed that they were acting um, <clears throat> in with the same professionalism that I tried to display, you know, because yeah. when we had guard at night, we were the ones pulling guard. We were actually pulling guard, right? Yeah. Like it wasn't like we were out there joking around, you know, like hanging Sleep out all night, you know, what I mean? playing cards. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like we were actually pulling guard. So to think, you know, you know, that, that someone could be drinking, you know, that seems just, it seemed really irresponsible to me. Yeah. And and then to find out that, you know, that my own NCOs were taking part of the same thing, it just felt like a complete abdication of responsibility, you yeah. know, and a, a real failure of leadership, to be honest. So. But at the same time, I mean, I've always been of the opinion that if, if you're not on duty, you know, um, and you're on deployment and you want to have a drink, you should be able to, you know, and then that restrictions in place, obviously there's also a cultural aspect of right. that as well um but it does sound that at least that if that was going on it wasn't interfering with those guys' duties so that's, that's not that's definitely nice yeah. well there was except for the one time when um one of the bravos was late to a mission um i don't know if you remember that chong oh, he geez. came running out we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> i don't know if he was drinking out. but he, just, <laughs> he overslept. that was really funny that was one of the funniest things ever because he basically got yelled at yeah it was pretty nice. pretty entertaining they they are human, I guess. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alarm clocks. Blame Apple, right? Yeah. Yeah. So at what what I mean, uh, when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that there there eventually were there was an attack on the BSP. Um, yeah, I believe it was the suicide bombers. Could you kind of tell us what happened there? So the suicide bomber thing was intel that we had had that two nineteen year olds decided basically from these actions that they were going mm-hmm. to blow themselves up. Um, it was the rationale given for leaving um, one of the trucks at the gate and basically mm-hmm. like why we offloaded the truck with ammunition and like making sure that it was basically like a basically like a dead piece of wood, essentially, that if somebody right. decided they wanted to blow themselves up on that, that's where it would go. Um, we were fortunate never to have any suicide bombers actually attack the gate, but um, I mean, the area became essentially unwalkable, um, sure. undrivable, unlivable. Um, the attacks, small arms fire, you know, not even accurate small arms fire, but it became so persistent that it was just like, they were just Couldn't almost kind of anything. like messing with us. Yeah. It's like, like they're, they were messing with us. And you also knew that, you know, the entire country was on a, t- a two week, like safety stand down, essentially. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like we for like this, you know, it, when you think about it, this thing like, you know, this bail's action, it, it caused a lot of like ripple waves and a lot of, pro- obviously a lot of issues. Um, but, you know, singularly, it could have been the thing that lost the war, you know, like 
I'm not saying that Afghanistan was ever going to be survivable, but the, I think it's potentially sped the timeline to our exit and so forth. Cause it was just so obvious that all the things that we were trying were not going to work. Right. Right. Like, that we were just even doing this VSP mission was just like, it's yeah. going to have limited success compared to what folks may think it right. Should it or, was, or, I mean, would have, right. It was right. a real, uh, a blight on the right. political atmosphere at the time. And, Right. You know, the kind of the narrative that was being, you know, delivered to people. And, and, you know, it's interesting you say how it had these reverberating waves that spread throughout the country, but also to us because we were walking into that area. So we didn't right. know what to expect because it was such a crazy, wild thing that had only happened just a few times over the course of both wars in Iraq and yeah. Afghanistan. Well, and there was also the 2ID kill squad. People yeah, forget fifth about. Brigade. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Was, uh, was probably two years before that. Where they mm-hmm. were going out, and it Kill was a very people. similar kind of per, uh, character personality to Robert Bales, the guy that was a squad leader for that squad, and they were encouraging privates to to murder civilians. But they were they weren't doing it, you know, in one big mass shooting. They were doing it over the course of the deployment. Um, there's an excellent documentary about it. I think it's called The Kill Team. Um, that kind of explores that and its own, its own controversies, but. Um, those those events did not give 2ID a very uh, a very good reputation, um, and I think that that followed them honestly all the way through, you know, their time that they owned Panjway and Zari. I mean, they they it was 2ID's AO all the way up until they gave it up to the Afghans. So that was it's an it's an astute observation that it hurt, um, and I am actually surprised that they continued to have those that that Indian patch, you know, running around Afghanistan for two years after. Bales did what he did. I would have thought the gut reaction would have been at least to rebrand or something. Or t- I don't know. It's interesting. They, re- they, they rebranded now, I believe. Um, you know, it's the Arrowhead Brigade. The brigade is gone, at least. So yeah, um, yeah. The unit, yeah. I believe, still exists. The battalion, but yeah, hmm. yeah. So, how much longer were you guys at the VSP? I mean, I'm, I'd imagine it was pretty quick from this day <laughs> going down to you guys getting shuttled out the back door, right? Uh, we were there for about another month. Yeah. Oh, really? It was. Yeah. And we well, weren't allowed to problem... leave. The, we couldn't do any patrols. We couldn't leave the VSP. We couldn't get supplies. Right. We couldn't. Like, yeah. so, especially when the air was red, like, these dudes would get, like, you know, 25, 50 meters to the VSP and just start blasting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so, throw so you guys get hit a lot in that month. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you yeah. see an increase yeah. in, uh, in small yeah. arms and stuff or? Definitely. Yeah, it almost uh, became daily. We just call it tick thirty, right around five thirty when the sun was going down in the west. Yeah, and you just, right. we just After knew. Call a prayer. <laughs> uh, yep. There was a there was one point where we were giving a brief to um, one of the groups that was coming in to relieve us, and it was like, just mm. so you know, we're about to get into a, and then you know, sure enough, like there's the firefight starting. So it was like that was literally a schedule. You could just yeah i mean it became a circadian rhythm at the time like you're gonna get into a firefight and then you're gonna like drink water for a little while then you're gonna go work out and then you're gonna like watch a movie then you're gonna have guard <laughs> and it just became like and then you're gonna shower and then you're gonna have guard sure. again and then you're gonna like you know what i mean it just became like these wild things that we just got completely like used to and uh, yeah um i'm i our, our LT arrived, <laughs> which is probably hmm. like one of the like the game changing things because we actually got to see like a, a new face. Um, yeah, we also got we also got to have um, one of our um, 
he called himself a chaplain. I don't remember if you, you remember. He was like a counselor or chaplain. You remember that song? The SF the chaplain? SF, SF chaplain? Yeah. yeah. He talked to us, and that guy was- um, That dude was badass, man. He was handing yeah, out waters in the yeah. middle of a firefight. He got it on video. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, he just was like, here you guys go. You need, you guys, you know, hydrate, you know? <laughs> We're like, yeah. yeah, Roger, thanks, sir. You know what I mean? It's like, he's like, I've, you know, he told us his whole life story. He's incredible, and he, he's like chief morale officer, man. I tell you what, like, he had it. He had a- I don't know if he knew. Maybe he thought we we're all kids, but he opened up a box and there's like nothing but candy bars in it. Hell yeah! And like to start, like the icebreaker was like, "Here, everyone, like take take a candy bar." And it was like, <laughs> we looked at him and I'm like, "I'm like, I'm taking two of those candy bars. Like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> welcome to Bellamy. Like, I'm taking two of those candy bars. Like, back up. You know what I mean? Well, like, the best part yeah. is when we had to do the initial. We're supposed to go to CAF for initial investigation, like two three weeks after that. Our oh, company yeah. commander came out. So we flew back with him. So third squad, uh, Alexander's night squad, flew back to CAF. And as because soon as we, we landed. Going, yeah, we think we're going home. We think as soon as going. we yeah. landed, the CO just gets off the bird and just doesn't say anything, just keeps walking. And then sure. some sergeant major comes and goes, no, get back on the bird. You guys are going back to Bellamy. You're not allowed to leave. We're like, bro, we're already at CAF. It was yeah. Thursday night. We were all ready for salsa night. It was just soul <laughs> crushing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, that was crazy. And basically looking back on it we were essentially his psd like that yeah. was what we were but no one had the balls or guts or foresight to tell us that we in fact packed for no reason we cleared out our rooms for no reason like we in fact were not going home we were <laughs> literally going right back to bellamby like that that was just another kick in the dick like just what? another yeah. kick in the dick in this whole thing was just like because at this point i'm sure you guys were just ready to go home you know well, yeah, we were, like, we were, we didn't know, we didn't know where we were going. We, we were told initially we were staying in Afghanistan and mm -hmm. that we were going to go to another VSP that was, has no ticks. And like, as, as, uh, Bale said, sandals, Afghanistan, where the, uh, some of the other, uh, some of the other units from, uh, some of the other squads from our unit went, like they had a nice time and they had, you know, like nothing really to do and they'd go on like these like half hour long patrols this is this is him telling us this right sure him, yeah, him right. giving us the update like of what the other squads are up to it's like hey what's what's so-and-so squad up to oh you know they're hanging out getting a tan oh what oh what are these guys doing oh they're making a call me maybe video oh okay that's cool that's yeah. right that, that that was one of your uh was that was our third company, team wasn't it was yeah that was from our company so like you could see the like not like not all <laughs> Not all experiences are the same when you talks about uh, combat veterans here. You know what I mean? It's like very different. And just, just because we were in Bales' squad and we got picked for that mission. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Sure. Yeah. Shout out so, to the boys that did that video. That was exceptionally well done. Yeah. I know all those guys, <laughs> nothing but love to them, man. Yeah. They look good. They're still watching. They do. They look good, man. Yeah. Everybody's in good shape. Uh, I, hope, I hope they got some, I hope they got contacted by the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders because they uh, definitely put the work in. Yeah, yeah, Miami Dolphins cheerleaders. Oh, it was Miami Dolphins. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Because they, the only reason why we know that is because they sent us a calendar, and it was probably it was oh, the yeah. best piece of mail we got the entire time there. So I shout think, out to I the think we wrote Dolphins. 45 teams, and uh, the Houston yes. Texans and the Miami Dolphins are the only ones that sent us anything. Yes. Yeah, so nice. shout out to those two organizations for uh, actually caring. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's good Jesus. stuff, man. Yeah. Um, but you did eventually leave Blamby for Cap. Yeah. Um, and what was that under the pretenses of the investigation? That was, that was a story. That's a story into itself. The, just the movement. Um, we basically load all our stuff up. Um, we, we usually we would drive, right. But 
the B team and all of these other assets had been there and they drove. And we were essentially being taken out of there the same way that we were brought in, which was as peep as just infantry dudes in the back. As Bubba's no, in the I back, gunned right? my way out. We I was Did gunning. you really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well they they they, they wouldn't let me drive. They're like, no, 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 you're good. You're gonna just mm. you're gonna just sit. I'm like, okay, just sit in the back. sounds good. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> we get to calf, you know, and uh they have us dismount at a like a strange look look looking facility sort of thing. Um and they have us dump all of our gear. And that was when I saw the most sergeant majors I've ever seen in my entire life. It looked like the <laughs> academy graduation. It was yeah. insane. And all of the sergeant majors either picked one of us or a duffel bag or a item or, you know, a pair of gloves. And they would just go through it to make sure we had no contraband. There I remember they got they got mad at the medics um because he had um those pops. And fentanyl pops like, fentanyl, fentanyl pops. pops it's like well i'm a medic i'm like signed for all of this stuff and they were like but because their orders were fine drugs fine contraband yeah. like these, are these guys are from bell and by yeah yeah exactly yeah. these guys are from bell and by like the orders are like like they search every i mean everything you're yeah. a medic why do you have Our helmets, <laughs> medicine everything yeah but yeah. essentially we spent maybe another three weeks to a month on calf and uh pretty much from like zero eight to 1700 we had to be on standby for any sort of questioning <laughs> any sort of investigations. And then from 1700, you know, to 08, we were to do whatever we want to go to uh, the boardwalk, things like that. But we also pulled guard on Camp Brown. So I don't know yeah, who was pulling so, guard before us, but we were the only ones pulling guard on Camp Brown. Yeah, we were. Which was the uh, SF compound within uh, CAF. Right. And also oh, where we okay. stayed. We stayed inside that compound. Like we, we stayed in, a, like they basically got us, um, look like a double wide trailer. It's kind of like mm -hmm. what it looked like on the inside, but um, it was just a flat, like empty trailer and we just kind of all just found a um place corner. to lay down yeah, yeah find a corner you got caught and like we just kind of hung out in there we have some great pictures from in there because these guys decide to buy stuff from the boardwalk like afghan hats and stuff and like show it of off it's man james yeah, yeah it's okay, ridiculous the, stuff. Uh, spring break 2012 spring breaks yeah spring break on kandahar kandahar airfield exactly. all those good stuff yeah so, but I mean, at least you were on the SF compounds. You guys got to eat pretty good. Oh, yeah, it wasn't too God. bad. It yeah. was the best. Not bad. They had. We'll cut. We'll cut this out. But how many cold beers did they have on station? None. I, I didn't see any. Yeah, yeah, goose egg. But they, had, but they had that locked down at that point. <laughs> they yeah, had I'm that sure they did. Yeah. yeah. Like we. I bet, we took I bet our a patches year before off? that you would have been. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. We took our patches off. That was one of the things because we didn't want to be like readily identified because sure. by this time. Be kind of weird, a bunch of you know infantry guys with these same patches as Bobby Bell is walking around, you know, Camp Brown or whatever. So right. like yeah. we would, we would have our patches. Like we would put them on when we would go to the boardwalk or stuff. But when I was walking around Camp Brown, I would never have my patches on. Um, hmm. But there are also like a lot of transient tents, or not tents, but like uh, hard structures there. So there's like showers, which was like <laughs> amazing, <laughs> like yeah. a hot yeah. shower. Like I mean, it's the same. These are the same showers that we would drive to Kandahar for, right? So now yeah. I'm just like able to get them. Every day. Um, they had a gym and then they had them. We used, we had to work at the mail place too, which was kind of interesting. So hmm. like they would like have us help sort the mail and we got to like interact with some of the pogues that were there and like the SF pogues and like talk to them. And that was really interesting. Like get some career advice and life advice from those folks. So yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it was very interesting. Yeah. 
So you're you're there. Was 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 it was it Sodif that was running the investigation, or was it you just happened to be there because you were they were trying to keep you away from everybody? I don't know. I, I don't think this, the the people we talked to weren't part of the Sodif. They were okay, so um, they were they just they just got, had you guys there because they could kind of isolate you. From yeah, the rest yeah, of right, yeah, easily, yeah. I want to say uh, the people we talked to were CID from Fort Bragg, but they weren't they weren't the Sodif. I don't believe. Hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't CID from Two ID. Uh, not at, what I don't I don't believe it was at uh at Camp Brown. I don't think it was initially. I don't. It was remember, a, it, it was next door. We had to go. We had to go out of the compound, and there was another like secure VTC room that we would use. Oh, um, okay. That the only reason why I know that is because on my second interview, a German <laughs> general popped up like on the screen. She was like, you know, twenty five feet tall. And she's like trying to see if there's a meeting. And I was like, no, it's just Private Alexander <laughs> just like waiting to like be uh, just deposed again by a uh, one star general. Like, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no. Well, that's, that's a good point. So I think if I remember correctly, it, it was um, like the division level command at um, RC South was 82nd at that time. Because I remember there was a bunch of 82nd people running around Massimgar. Hmm. Um, so that probably makes sense that that would be who you talk to. Um, and so how long were you guys at Kandahar before you got sent home? And, and what was it like, I guess, dealing with the the interrogations and the questioning? Was it fairly routine? Were they were they cool about it? Were they aggressive with the questioning? Uh, for me personally, I didn't feel it was aggressive. I thought everybody was yeah. pretty cool, especially like once they realized we weren't out there. Because the initial reports was it was a whole platoon was out there. Right. Kind of mm. coming out. And then as you know, more information was come out that they realized it was just one guy. So uh, they were, you know, it was... It was a little overwhelming at first because I was a PFC talking to a one-star general. Sure. But, uh, you know, <laughs> right. other than that, like, they were really cool and they made it, like, really easy and comfortable to talk to. And it wasn't too bad, but just had to be on standby every day, essentially for about three weeks until about 1700. But from, I mean, of, I didn't think it was too bad. a lot of video games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like a lot of Skype. Like trying yeah. to Skype, Skype random people, trying to talk to people. Because we didn't have, we had internet at Bell and By, but it was, like, kind of, yeah. sh- it was spotty yeah, at that time, yeah. Pakistani yeah. internet. Yeah, it was yeah. like this is not this is this is not entertainment. So it was a lot of DVDs and like again watching Glee yeah. and like <laughs> trading hard drives, know. dude. Yeah, trading hard drives. Yeah, exactly. When when you talk about being there on calf, I can I can smell yeah like the interior of an NWR tent with like the rubber like the rubbery smell with the dust and yeah, like with video games and TVs going and stuff. Yeah. I can smell it. Wow, that's weird. That's sorry that we can cut that out. That was just a weird sensory moment yeah. for me there. Well, what was weird is we couldn't like we couldn't go anywhere between eight seventeen hundred. Like we were stuck. So like you had yeah. to be on recall. So just sitting there waiting. You're just like waiting for your opportunity. You don't know like the first person to talk to them was one of the the only NCO we had left. And um he went to talk to them and his reaction when he came back was like, Oh man, that's not good. And so we were all hmm. like, oh, like we were kind of like, oh, man, I was like, oh, crap, you know, um, sure. I'll never forget the colonel. Um, he was the guy that was like probably the assistant um, for the one star, which makes sense. You know, he was like probably yeah. helping him out on the team. And uh, he briefed me before he was like, make sure you say sir a lot. <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking like, I'm thinking like, OK, that's what we're worried about. All right. OK. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> 
Okay, well, all right. Because he said initially, he's, like, he's like, all right, guys, we're going to be real comfortable, you know, so be real low key. So, yeah. you know, uh, the one dude uh, from one of our hillbillies just refused to call him sir, just treated him like a buddy buddy. And I think that just rubbed him <laughs> the wrong way. Right. <laughs> they were both from, both from Arkansas. Like, I remember uh, that. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. It's like, nice. yeah. Me- meanwhile, the uh, the one star is like a Rhodes Scholar and like, sure. like yeah. went right. to Oxford. You know what I mean? And it's like, he's like, yeah, I, I, I grew up in Arkansas, but like, I'm not. <laughs> I left that behind long yeah back. right <laughs> exactly 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 he worked like because that was one of the interesting things is we had access to google so i googled him you know and you find out about yeah. the guy and i'm like oh sure. wow that's pretty interesting like just yeah. to make sure because i don't trust anybody at this point right no, like no. I'm, yeah, I'm making sure that this guy is actually a real person like i like i'm not talking to some like fake suit who's just like you know like mm. asking me random questions about you know like the the command climate of Bellaby, you know what I mean? So yeah, for sure. So when you guys get to calf, you kind of get your initial grilling from <laughs> uh, CID or whoever, and then you pack up and they ship you back to the good old US of A, right? They gave us a lieutenant. Yeah, that was yeah. one of the that was one of the things. Like we had this random lieutenant um, who was like. Hey guys, I'm in charge of you now. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like <laughs> the worst cold opening ever. It was like, okay, all right, this is not gonna work, man. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we've got needs, you know, like he's like a butter bar from the S shop. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. like 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 what like he, he just didn't know enough. And then he came through clutch. And the one thing that he came through clutch with was he asked us, How do you guys wanna go home? Yeah. Do you wanna go? Do you wanna fly? Do you want to fly military or civilian air? Civilian air will take longer, but you know, it's civilian air. And we, we were like, we want to fly on civilian air. Yeah. Exactly. And that was like, that was like, that was like the greatest. Oh, that was so great. I can't explain to you how amazing that was. But the fly. flight pattern was just dumb. Oh yeah. We flew I mean, to Kyrgyzstan, Turkey, Germany, and then what was it? DC. Texas uh, and da- then back to Dallas. Seattle. Yeah, DC, <laughs> Dallas, Seattle. Yeah. Um, the mistake that was made was leaving a butter bar in charge of us in a civilian airport, um, unsupervised, <laughs> <laughs> with a bunch of dudes who have just spent five months going through probably the worst uh, combat experience since the uh, melee. Chong, would you agree? So massacre wise. Yeah. Yeah, massacre, massacre wise. wise yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you know, I mean, the, o- the only I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, like, that we know about, right? So it's like true, true. It was wild. I mean, as soon as we got to Germany, it was like, oh, this place has uh, beers open, and like this is a bar, and like we can buy beer here, and it was mm-hmm. just insane. It got it got pretty bad. Um, so we did the one of the legs of the flight. Um, our uh, medic threw up in the back of the plane. Nice. And that was kind of like, that was kind of like, okay, this is not good. Meanwhile, one of our sock gunners is getting dating advice um, from the flight attendant because she finds him <laughs> very nice looking. So it was like completely like exactly what we wanted. Like we were just sure. like, yes, we're people again. We weren't wearing our patches uh-huh. and we, uh, you know, all of our gear was checked all the way forward. So we didn't have to fall in on that. So it was just like, that was like the first time that we got to be kind of like together and take a breath. You know, because we actually knew we were going home, you know, so. Right. Yeah. Then after about that two-day flight, uh, we landed in <laughs> Seattle. Immediately off the plane, we get ushered into this little closet by like a captain or something. We had to sign uh, no contact orders immediately. First thing we did back yep. in the States. 
have no yeah. contact with bills and no security details, anything like that. And were you allowed to have contact with each other or were they were limiting your contact with each other? With each other was fine. Just with the bills, we we're off limits. You landed at SeaTac, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And they bust you to JBLM and the first thing they did was slapped you guys with no contact orders. So yeah, well, we were no still in SeaTac. We weren't even back at Fort Lewis yet. We, oh, like, we were at SeaTac. We, we, we literally yeah, stepped literally off the plane. Off the they plane. put us in a room. Off oh, the wow. plane. It was off the plane. You, 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 and you over here. You, you, you over here. Let's go. It was wow. like, I mean, they, they had to put some logistics into that too. Cause it's not like you can rent rooms at the mm-hmm. freaking. Right. <laughs> it might've been the USO airport. they put us in maybe. It was, been the yeah, USO. it was, but yeah. it was like, follow us. Um, yeah. Like right by baggage claim, opened a room up, threw us in there. And it was like, sign this. <laughs> it's like, uh, hmm. okay, what is it? It's like, sign it. <laughs> okay. What is it? You got, you have the opportunity to read it. And because of who I am, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take my time and read it. And, you know, not exactly endear myself to the uh, sure. the very upset officer who is here at SeaTac to escort a bunch of uh, junior soldiers home from Afghanistan, right? Like, mm-hmm. I got better that was to the do. no contact order stating you could have no contact with Staff Sergeant Bales. For one year. Um, yeah. And that was kind of a precursor to what we'll talk about next week, which was kind of your treatment, um, the treatment of you guys by the Army after you returned. Um, and then the, uh, the process of the investigation, the trial, and then we really want to get into, um, what you think happened. We, we kind of purposely skirted around the edges of that on this episode because I wanted to stick to the, you know, the facts that we could know and we could prove or the things that you personally saw or heard, but I want to give you guys a chance in the next episode to, to put the pieces together for us, uh, and paint the picture. So, uh, next week on the Panjway podcast, will be the conclusion part three of our, uh, of our conversation with james and uh brandon about the uh the pandroid massacre so stay tuned thanks for listening to this episode of the pandroid podcast if you liked what you heard head on over to apple podcasts and leave us a five-star review new episodes every monday on all major podcast platforms facebook and youtube visit www.thepandroidpodcast.com for more information